Well, good morning, everybody. Wasn't that good? Let's give him another hand. I thought that was awesome. Good morning. If it's your first time, why don't you go ahead and fill out that little card on your bulletin. And we will send you something in the mail this week just to say hi, and we're glad that you're here. And uh, it's just, it is a pleasure to have you if it's your first time. Um, my name is Joshua Kepchinski. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are in a series called Plugging Into the Supernatural. And uh, this, is, uh, this is our third week on the topic, and we've kind of set the stage with the areas of uh, the issues of holiness, of, uh, of, of sanctified people and sanctified places, and, and reverence for God and, and being in his presence, it's kind of setting the stage. And then last week, we talked about supernatural prayer. Of, of talking to God in a real way, talking to God in a transparent way, talking to God in a, in a primal way where we're really communicating with God and instead of just trying to, you know, throw up flippant prayers. And uh, today, uh, today is, is healing, plugging into supernatural healing. And we did, a, we did a little prayer time up at the front, and we experienced the presence of God during that time. And I'm I'm hoping and praying that people were touched and healed during that moment. And, and, and if, they, if you weren't, you, you can take another crack at it at the end of the service. So we'll let you have another shot at it. So, um, but um, supernatural healing. This is actually, um, it's actually a difficult topic to talk about. And a lot of pastors won't preach on it because our experience doesn't line up with the Bible. The way that the, our lifestyle doesn't look like anything like Jesus' lifestyle. When was the last time you raised somebody from the dead? Anybody raise anybody from the dead? All right, the guy back there did. Raise your hand. <laughs> so, so, so we got one. One. And actually, it's, it's, it's part of our spiritual heritage. It's, I think it's pretty cool. Um, one of the, the verses that is... A splinter in my mind. It, it, it bugs me. It, it, it's one of these things. Well, there's a lot of scriptures that, that kind of give me a hard time. There's like, you just wrestle with them, you struggle with them. Well, this is one of them. Uh, this is uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 17 through 18. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. The beginning of that verse. These signs will follow those who believe. Oh, man, that's hard, huh? That is, that, that's some strong language. It, it's in the red. This is something that Jesus said. He's saying, if you believe in me, you will, you're going to be doing the things that I did. And here's the hard part. I just don't see it in my lifestyle as much as I think that it should be in my life. Why? This is a very difficult topic because all of us, there's not a single person in the room that hasn't lost somebody to death. A friend or a loved one, you just, you just, death took them. 
It, never, it doesn't feel right when someone dies, does it? It's like, man, that's just, that's just not right. Death is, I don't like dealing with death. I, when I look at a dead body, there's just something that's just not right. So we've all have experienced death. Chances are a large majority in this room uh, has been engaged or has experienced what we did this morning where you're praying for the sick. And our experience is usually, well, I prayed for this person and they didn't get better. I have this sickness in my body and, and I'm not healed. My child has this condition and I don't understand why. Why did this, why did this person die at such a young age? And there's the difficulty in, 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 in preaching on this topic because we, ha- we, we ask these questions, why? Why? And, you know, I've prayed for, I've prayed for a lot of people in my life. Large majority, they don't get healed. Some do. Those are the ones I try to focus on. But why is my experience not like Jesus' experience? Shouldn't it be? And what is blocking me from receiving breakthrough? In your outlines, first point, we're going to go through these pretty quickly. First point is, is that Jesus commands us to heal. Matthew 10, authority over all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases has been given to us. We have, we have authority over disease and sickness. Here's the difficult part. Death, decay, diseases, sickness, they're not creations of God. They're manipulations from the evil one. When Adam and Eve first sinned, that decay was brought onto the planet. Natural disasters weren't even a part of God's will. You know, a windstorm comes and blows over somebody's house and they die. That's not even God's will. That is, that is part of the earth groaning. Even natural evil was never part of God's plan. And we try to, try to, we're trying to figure this part of it out. Jesus came to undo these things. Matthew 7, it says, Go and preach. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. Luke 10, 3 through 9. Go your way, heal the sick there, and then tell them that the kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of God is near. And again, we get in, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom, the kingdom of God is Jesus' rule and reign here on, on the planet Earth. It is, it is his desire and his will that heaven comes down to earth and that we function inside of heaven on earth. It, it is his ability to do the things that are supernatural in our natural environment. And one of the biggest ways that the kingdom is expressed is through supernatural healing. Healing of the body, healing of the mind, healing of the emotions. Jesus walked it, he modeled it, and to make matters worse, he told us to do it. Now there is, um, there's some major blocks to this, and, and we'll get into this in a second, but uh, next one on your, on your thing. In order to pray for healing for someone, you must have compassion for them. Almost every time that Jesus 
prayed for someone, it says that he had compassion for them. Even the sick and the hungry, he said he had compassion for them and he made, you know, he fed the 5,000 with a handful of food. He had compassion for the girl and she was raised from the dead. So that, that is a prerequisite. You have to have compassion. Your motives for praying for the sick has to be one of love. You have to love people. In short, you have to have God's heart. All right, let's see. Sorry about that. Last one. So praying for the sick, to pray is you have to, you have to take a risk. Inevitably, you have to just like step out in faith and take a risk. You gotta, like I said last week, you gotta get out of the boat. And I could expand on this outline all day long, and I could preach an absolutely incredible sermon on faith. But God really spoke to me, and He told me, You're gonna miss half the audience. Because half the audience are faith people, and the other half of the audience is fact people. I gotta have a reason for my faith. Scriptures themselves say, let us come together and reason. And in Acts, Paul is visiting this, uh, this city. He's ministering in the city of, of uh, uh, Berea. And uh, in Berea, there were, there were noble Jews. There were intellectual Jews. And Paul comes in and he brings in this, this gospel message this fresh revelation, and these noble Jews says that they got excited about what Paul was teaching, and they dug in, and they searched the scriptures because they wanted to test to see if what Paul was saying was true. So I'm, today I'm going to take a message of faith, and we're going to look at it from a reasonable point of view, a reasonable eye. And what I'm really getting at is why? Why isn't that so-and-so wasn't healed? Why did so-and-so die? We're gonna, we're gonna ask these basic questions as why did God allow this to happen? And some of you have even asked, why did God do this to me? And these are very serious, strong questions to ask. And I just want to take a really good, honest look at them. Some of the blocks to faith and the blocks to reason, it's actually a historical attack on, on the faith of Jesus Christ. And it actually goes back right after Jesus left the planet. We see the enemy of God come in and he says, okay, this is, we cannot let the church do what God has commissioned them to do. They can't perform in the miraculous. They can't, they can't access the power that he has given them. And there's all these little points in history where you can see the enemy of God work on areas where men and women won't believe. Where they will they'll take themselves out of areas of, of, a, of a faith that uses the mind, that a faith that uses the renewed mind where you see something supernatural and it makes sense to your intellectual mind. That has been taken from us. 
And, and I actually I could go through history, and I could, we could look at Augustine's time and, and where the breakdown happened there. And we could look at Thomas Aquinas' time and where the breakdown happened there. In the Middle Ages, where the breakdown happened there. But I really wanted to start with our country right now. Because there was a major breakdown in faith in our country. It actually even started in Europe a little bit before with the, with the Protestant Reformation. You all know that our founding fathers, they were all Protestants for the most part. What is a Protestant? Protestant came from Luther who broke away from the Catholic Church because there was this weird stuff that was going on in the Catholic Church. And I don't want to get into the history, and I don't, definitely don't want to bash Catholics, so that's not, that's not the point of it. But what Luther and the, and the, and the Protestants did, they, they, they protested what the Catholic Church was doing or the practices of the Catholic Church that was doing that was hindering the work of the Holy Spirit. And it was hindering people from getting to know God through the Scriptures. And when they broke from the Catholic Church... In most of the major denominations, major lines of thinkings in, in, in Calvin and Luther and, and Zwingli, um, they had, it's not completely true in every single case, but they had this suspect attitude towards the gifts of the Spirit, towards the supernatural. Because this is one of the things that the Catholics held true, that saints were... Uh, nullified, and saints were, were saints because miracles followed them. But it was only for saints. And it wasn't for years later until some very special works that Catholics said, no, the miracles are for everyone. Everybody can practice miracles. But at that time, it was just for the saints, just for the Pope and specific people. And so instead of, for the most part, for... The Protestants, instead of saying, let's go after a supernatural lifestyle for every believer, they kind of went the opposite direction. And there was, a, there was a teaching and there was a theology that entered into the church. And it's a part of our spiritual lives today. We inherited it. Whether you realize it or not, everybody in the room is dealing with some of this doubt that, that creeped in through the church. The big giant word, the big giant theological word is cessationism. And what that means is, is that they believe that the primary focus for healing in the Bible, for healing in the everyday life, was to make the scriptures authoritative or to prove that they were from God. So you have all these people that are trying to, they're putting this book together. And how do you know that this book is from God? Well, because the guys that wrote it, they had miracles that followed them. That's how we know that this is true. And so when this book was completed, they said, we no longer have need for the supernatural because we have the book and it's completed. Miracles ended with the apostles is what they're saying. And this is our spiritual heritage. I mean, I say that loosely, but it, it, it's a part of what we believe. The, the founding fathers of our country, uh, they were 1700s, the Enlightenment, the, the age of reason was upon us. 
They did great things. They actually did build our country on biblical principles and God. Yet, I will go, I will go after our founding fathers for a little bit. They were, they were very suspect of the supernatural. And they valued reason more than they valued the expression of the Holy Spirit. They even, theologians, theologians even went as far to say, and there actually is truth in this. Theologians went as far to say is, if you follow reason and logic to its end, and if your ultimate goal is truth, you will find Jesus. You will find God. And there is truth in that. If you logically go through the steps, and if you, if you, look, at, if you look at life through the, the lens of reason, you can find Jesus because Jesus is truth. The scriptures say that he is truth. He doesn't teach about truth. He doesn't tell us a philosophy about truth. He doesn't point to truth. He is truth. So you can get to Jesus through reason. You can get to him, but it doesn't mean that you can accept him. Back to the book of Acts, when Paul is ministering to Berea, the, the noble Bereans, the scripture says, many of the noble intellects believed. It doesn't say all of them. They all searched the scriptures. They all used reason, but not all of them believed in Christ. It can, and it is, it is true it does lead to Jesus, but you have to make that decision on your own. We're going to get to the heart of that in the, in, at the end of the message. All right. You guys, you guys tracking with me? All right, so cessationism is this thought that basically miracles, the supernatural, ended with the apostles. And from that, there's some different things that filter out of it. There is, okay, well, maybe miracles aren't as miraculous as we think that they are. And that miracles can be explained by natural laws. We have, during the same period, we have an introduction of higher criticism that says, okay, let's look at the text and let's see what it really says. Okay, we have the Red Sea, and, and Moses crosses the Red Sea. That's like, that's impossible. I think there's a typo here. I think it was meant to say the Reed Sea, which is this deep. And when the wind blows, you have enough room to walk across on dry land. And so this is the thought that they had. If you actually turn on the History Channel, they will, they will go through you know, the Bible and, and things that happen in the Bible, and they will s explain supernatural events through natural ways, natural causes. This is something that we've inherited. We try to explain things away through natural causes. Does God use nature to, to do his purposes? Absolutely. But the definition of supernatural is beyond nature. It is metaphysics. And this is the lifestyle that God has called us into. We even do it today in our own way of praying for people. Oh, you know, I'm going to step out in faith, and I got this, you know, I got this, uh, I don't know, I got this cold. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get prayer for this cold. And I'll pray, you know, you get prayer, and it's like, oh, uh, God, I guess God didn't really heal me. It's more, probably more of a placebo effect. I felt that God healed me, and it was a good feeling, and therefore I, I'm now feeling better. You take the placebo pill of spirituality, and we think that 
you know, then we, then we rationalize it away, that it, it's really not, that the miraculous isn't as potent as it, as it should be, okay? Another thing that's going on with, with church and, and, and church life and spirituality is there's a, I'm not going to give you the fancy word for it, but there's this view of a weak church, that, you know, that the church is, is, has been going downhill since Acts 2. Like there was this explosion on the scene and everything, you know, Christianity exploded all over the place and it's just kind of been dwindling down through the centuries. It's like, it's like the second law of spiritual thermal dynamics. It's winding down and it's going to continue to wind down and then disintegrate until Jesus finally comes back and saves us. I actually heard this on the radio this week, that the church is in such distress that Jesus needs to come back now and save us. You know, the country's going to hell in a handbasket. It's time for Jesus to come back. Uh, I don't believe that that's scriptural either. Because the way that Jesus modeled things, he said, he didn't say, okay, Jesus is God. Okay, you guys get that, right? He's, he's God in flesh. He's, he's incarnate. He's fully God and fully man. He is the Alpha. He's the Omega. He, was, he created the earth. Yet, while he was on the planet doing the things that the Father had told him to do through the miracles and through the, the healings and the signs and wonders and all this kind of stuff, what does he tell us? He says, you will do these things and then some, that my kingdom is ever-increasing. And again, something that is said that doesn't match up with our experience. There's probably different points of view on that. Uh, God's kingdom in other countries is doing very well right now. People are sending missionaries back to America because we're not. <laughs> they are. That's kind of that's a little that's kind of embarrassing. We have. People from Africa, they're called to the, you know, Lord's called them here to do ministry here. What? That's okay. Well, and then we just believe that we're just not worthy. We're not worthy to pray for people. We're not worthy to receive healing. That that's for spiritual people. That's for those up over there that, that have that connection with God that are they're tuned into his spirit. That's for them. That's for holy people, not us. Next major thought, a line of thought, philosophy that is um, undone or is hampering our ability to receive healing and faith is, is liberalism. And I, I, I'm not saying that in the political sense. I'm saying that in the theological sense where cessationism said, okay, miracles died out, the church is winding down, and uh, we have the book, and that's good enough. Um, liberal theology says there, were, there weren't any miracles to begin with. Why bother even fooling yourself? It's all myth. The whole thing is made up. It's all based on, Jesus is, is an archetype of Apollo. 
In fact, the whole New Testament is based off of Homer's Iliad. There's, no, there's nothing real about this. It's, it's all our primal desires. To con- we have these psychological things that are in us that, that connect to the sanctification and the sacrifice and that we need to be redeemed. It's in every human being. And this is just something that is being projected out onto, on, on the paper and people are writing it down. But it's all myth. It's all made up. Joseph Campbell did a, I mean, he's not, I don't think he's a believer, but he did this incredible study on myth. And we believe it. It's like, do we really believe this is true or is it myth? And so liberal theology has crept into the church. And whether you like it or not, it's part of your pro- thought process too. When I was a kid, I experienced God heal my physical body on several occasions. Uh, blueprints to prove it, right? I had bones that were floating around in my body that kept me from walking. And then over a process of prayer, they went away. I was healed. That was one occasion. As a young person, as a, as a child, I prayed for people and they got better. God used me, used a child's faith to heal other people. I experienced stuff that Absolutely amazing, powerful, crazy, scary moves of God. And that does something to you. That has been this thing in my mind that I can't get over. I've even tried to say, oh, that didn't even happen. That was just my imagination. That never worked either. But my experiences with God, healing, I believed, saved my soul. And I'll explain. It was my anchor to back to God. I, 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 uh, my intellectual career, I did a year and a half at Chafee College. I did a semester at Harvard. And I did four years at Westmont College. And I did some time at Azusa Pacific, too. Um, I was influenced and indoctrinated by liberal theology, okay? I'm not, talk, I'm not talking about liberal education. That was there too, but that's not my point today. But I took philosophy classes at Chafee. I took um, uh, comparative religions at Chafee. And I was indoctrinated into a liberal theology. Uh, Harvard was the same way. It was, you know, this is, you know, this is just... It's all make-believe. Let's study it. Let's get, let's get academic here. And it was cool. I mean, I enjoyed it. Um, and, I, and, then I, and I struggle with some of this stuff. Then I go to Westmont College, and maybe just let me preference this for a second. Westmont is an evangelical liberal arts college, and it is run by godly men and women, and I have the utmost respect for it. But, and they love Jesus. And actually, what I learned there is I learned to see different aspects of Jesus, and um, I learned to love Presbyterians in this setting, in this environment. And Presbyterians have a heart for Jesus that is absolutely amazing, and they have a heart for the poor that most Christians don't understand. And so I learned those values there along with many other things. But what I didn't learn is I didn't learn how to pray for the sick. 
it wasn't something that was valued there. It's because there were some of these things that were embedded into their, their way of doing things. So they, they, they taught me higher criticism. They taught me uh, all these things, but they never taught me how to, how to pray for the sick or, or preach the gospel. I have a rich heritage there, but there was, these, there was these things that just didn't get to communicate. And it was in that environment, in a Christian college environment, where I had the crisis of faith that everybody will have someday, where I didn't know what I believed. I, did, I was questioning God. I was questioning the very existence of God. I was going down an existential dark hole that had no end, and it was dark and depressing, and the only thing that saved me was my miracle. My miracle when I was 12. My experience with the Holy Spirit in Brighton, England. That's what saved me. That's what saved me. So I knew God was real. And I knew that he loved me. And I could, never, I could never deny that. I could never deny God's experience for me and towards me and his love for me. So now I just need to get to the heart of this. So we've looked at, we've looked at some of the intellectual and philosophical blocks that are hardwired into our American DNA. And now I, we just need to get into the heart, the human condition that keeps us from experiencing miracles and breakthroughs in our lives. I believe strongly that all the gifts are for today and that God is here to outpour his spirit on us so that we can be the sons and daughters that he's called us to be. There's a, there's a Bible verse that I have never used to teach on healing before, but I feel like God has called me to use this verse on healing. And I, I don't know if anybody's ever used it And in the book of Job, <laughs> you want to get your Bibles out, turn to the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 1. Now, if you think that you had a bad day, or if you've had a bad week, or if you've had a bad year, it's nothing compared to this guy. The book of Job is probably one of the oldest scriptures that we have. It is... Um, not only is it unique to the Bible, it's unique to any other form of literature on the planet. And Job is probably the greatest hero, I don't know, outside John the Baptist on the planet. And it gets right down to the core of the human condition. Verse 1, in the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Feared God that he had an, an inner awe and respect for God. Reverence. He had seven sons, three daughters, owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, had a large number of servants, he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. This guy was rich. He was blessed beyond measure. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes. They would invite their three sisters to eat and drink 
with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my kids have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. He has a father's heart. He loves his kids. He has God's heart. He loves his kids so much he's going to atone for their sins. That's amazing. Verse 6. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming through the earth, going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But you stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your hands. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. You can't kill him. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. All right, you're probably thinking, this is, you know, you read this for the first time, it's terrifying. You've got to be kidding me. God and Satan are upstairs making deals with my life? Messing with me? Are you kidding me? And God's just going to allow this to happen? Yeah. Yeah, there's the, there, this is hard, isn't it? This is hard. Yes. Yes, he will allow Satan to sift us. He will allow Satan to have his way with us. Why? Why, 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 why is this? Why is this so important? There's two, there's two major responses when we don't see the breakthrough that we're praying for. There's two major decisions that we can take, two paths that, that most of us do whenever we, we pray for somebody and they don't get better, or whenever there's pain and suffering in our life and we can't reconcile it in our mind, where it just doesn't make sense. Why is this injustice happening? Why is this child suffering? And this is what we do. We take a moral, religious perspective on it. All right, well, God didn't heal me because I'm not praying enough. God didn't heal me because I'm not religious enough. God didn't heal me because I don't have enough faith. God didn't do this because I didn't do this. And we take this moral approach that we have to earn God's healing in our life. I have to go through all these steps in order for God to bless me. This is downright not scriptural. 
There's only one area in the Bible where God says, do this, you just test me in this, and I'll bless you. And that is the tithe. It's another popular subject. But that's it. That's the only place where God says, test me. He never says, if you pray enough, I'll heal you then. If you have enough faith, then I'll, then I'll heal you. Yes, it does say the prayer of faith will heal the sick, right? You have to have that. But it's never a guarantee that it's going to happen. And so we, 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 we put on this, this moral, religious thing to try to get to God. And we say, okay, well, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, and then we're going to get our breakthrough, okay? The other one, the other approach, whenever we don't see that breakthrough, we, you know, we, we, we step out in faith. I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to like really get faithful and I'm going to try and walk across the swimming pool. and see, <laughs> you, ever, you ever try that one, try to walk on water? Um, I've never done that. Um, <laughs> and, and you fail. Oh, man, I have... Uh, Swung and missed so many times when I've prayed for people. I've got, I should give up, man. I've got more failures than wins. I'm a big old loser in this area. And usually when people lose, when they're poor losers, they get cynical. Ah, I knew this was all baloney. I knew this was a load. Why, why was I so gullible to believe this stuff? I know deep down inside God's not real. I know he doesn't care. If he is real, he's indifferent. He's indifferent at best. If he's real, then he's kind of a mean God because he's allowing all this evil to happen. So those are our two responses. We get moral and legal. I've got to be a good person. And if I'm a good person, then God's going to heal me. Or we get cynical and secular saying, I <laughs> This is all baloney. This is all baloney. I'm out. Both are spiritual dead ends. Both lead nowhere because both are set in our abilities. Both are our desire to control God. We want control. And we feel like, if we take our moral stance, we can control God by going through the steps and being the good moral person, and therefore, God owes me. God, I, I did this, and therefore, God, you owe me my blessing. I, I fasted and I prayed for 40 days. Now it's your turn, God. You bless me. Time to pay up. I paid my dues. You can't control God. What does Job do? What does he do? Oh, let's read it real quick. Verse 20. At this, Job got up. He tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground in worship, and said... Naked I've come from my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. The Lord gave 
the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Oh, man, this is why this guy is so great. And he lived and functioned in a New Testament form of grace. And he didn't know Jesus the way that we do. That's powerful. What's he saying? He's saying, keep in mind, he, the enemy of God, the devil, kills all of his children, takes all of his money. Everything is gone. All of his provision is gone. If this happened to me, you'd be like, oh, let's stay away from Josh. God is not happy with that guy. He must have some major sin in his life. He's got, God's cursing him. Job's response is the healthy emotional response to loss and pain. And we talked about the groans that come through prayer. And he tears his clothes. He expresses this emotion uh, that words cannot express. He grieves through the Holy Spirit, yet he never blames God. God, I was so faithful, and then this bad thing happened to me? He never does that. Here's the hard part. Job has no knowledge of this conversation, this deal that God and the devil are having upstairs. And this is our, one of our major faults that we have because we need to know why. We think we have the right to know why. And we say to ourselves, God, if you would just, I'm suffering right now. If you could just show me the end, if you could just tell me why I'm going through this and how this is going to make me a better person, then, I will, then I'll be okay and I can, I, can, I can cope with this. If I, you know, the, you know, all things work through the better for those that believe. If I could just see the end product, if I could know why I'm going through this, then, then, well, then we'll be okay, God. Then you and I will be okay. Uh, most of us just want to control God. We, we have this desire to know what the end is. We think that this stuff is ours. We really do. We think God's blessings are ours. We think our money is ours. We think our kids are ours. Does Job say, you took my family, God. You killed my family. What am I, how am I supposed to be in a relationship with you now? You killed my family. He doesn't do that. What does he say? He said, naked, I, I came into this world, and naked I'm going to leave. Lord gives and Lord takes away. What you've given me is yours and not mine. I don't know what's going on. I'm going to shelf it. Job doesn't even bother trying to figure out what's going on. He says, it's just, I'm just going to worship you. I'm just going to praise you. And I'm just going to just, this is a mystery that I don't understand, but I trust in you. I trust in you. Now, usually when we are in difficult and painful times, when there's discomfort, when there's injustice, when you're struggling, life's hard, you're not, you're not being healed. You're not getting the breakthrough. And you're in pain. Uh, 
from these two options, how do you know if you're in God's will, if you're moving forward, if you're, if you're spiritually all right? Suffering, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is the kingdom of God. This is the irony. This doesn't make sense to us in our logic. Suffering draws you closer to God and closer to the affections of God. If you're experiencing pain and if you're suffering and if you're becoming more cynical and more sarcastic and more negative about life, you're not heading towards God. You want to control. And worse yet, you are believing lies. The number one human condition that keeps us from experiencing God, that keeps us from being healed, is the liar. This guy, the devil himself, he is arrogant, he is conceited, he is cynical. He's so arrogant and so full of himself that he thinks that he can walk into God's presence and lie to God himself and God will believe it. That's how insane the devil is. He walks into God's presence and in the court and the whole, that whole situation. And you know what he tells God? He says, your creation, your little sons and daughters that you made down there, guess what, God? They don't love you. They don't really love you. They just love your blessings. All they want to do is for you to bless them with money and, and health and wealth. That's all they want from you, God. They don't really love you. They just love your things. He makes a claim on us. Oh, such arrogance. How does God respond? God responds says, all right, sure, let's, let's, let's dance. Let me show you what my creation can do. But here's the terms. You can do this, but you can't do this. I will allow you to sift Job, but you can't kill him. What's he saying? God is still in control. God even controls the devil. And to get to the root of it, to get to the root of why we're not getting the breakthrough, because deep down inside, from the garden, our, our inheritance, our lie that we have believed is that we believe the lie that says, you know what? God doesn't really love you either. That was the lie in the, that was the, lie in the garden. God doesn't really love you either, Josh. You just need to come to terms with that, that God doesn't love you. And I can prove God doesn't love you because he didn't heal you. I can prove God doesn't love you because he allows this suffering to happen in your life. God doesn't love you. Honestly, sometimes I believe that lie. Even to this day, I believe that lie because it's wired into me. Another lie that he tells us is, you don't really love all those people. They drive you crazy. Devil tells that to God, too. Those people down there, they don't love each other. They're just selfish. They're just in it to get something out of each other. They're just networking. They're not loving, they're networking. And we believe these lies, and they take hold, and we lose track of who God is. 
and we lose track with the ability to connect with him on a very intimate level. All right, I could probably keep going. I could have the band and the ushers to come up to the front. And here is the challenge. Do you have the ability to serve God without giving anything in return? Can you do that? Can you serve God and not expect a return? Job could. You know, if I never experience another miracle in my life or an expression of God's love for me, I'll be okay. I, I know that God loves me. Sometimes I falter. But I know God loves me. And I'm asking you that today. Maybe you wandered in here. Maybe it's your first time. Do you know God's love? See, he loves us so much. And you've heard this a million times that he sent his only son. You see... The devil was given the right to inflict pain and injustice on Job. And he did a pretty good job. A second Job came along, a Jesus, who was completely perfect. And Jesus served without any hope of getting any blessing at all. There was no prosperity gospel for Jesus. He wasn't going to get, you know, the two cars and the white picket fence and... I don't know, he was, you know his, uh, his fate was something completely different. There was nothing in it for Jesus. The only thing that was in it for him was you. And what God does is he, he literally mocks the devil. He says, I'm going to show you what my creation can do. They are free. They are free moral agents. And they have the ability to reason, they have the ability to use logic to find me, but more importantly, they can love me upon their own will without me giving them toys to play with. And some of you are going through some very difficult times right now. Don't turn to cynicism. Don't try to figure it out. Just know that God loves you and let him love you. And there's a mystery there. Again, there's a mystery that we don't understand. And that pain, that sickness, that frustration, you're just going to have to shelf it. I don't even, don't even say, oh, it's the sovereignty of God. God's trying to teach me something. All pain, all sickness, all death, all decay is a creation of the evil one. God allows it. But God redeems everything. And he expresses it through the supernatural and it is for here, and it is for now. The kingdom is here and not yet. We get to experience God's goodness now. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We thank you that, uh, that you love us. 
I pray that we will be compelled to give out of love and that we're not going to be compelled to give because we want to get something in return. I pray that we will understand the spiritual truth to giving back to you, that it is not ours, it's yours. And we just need to put that mark on our finances. For those that are struggling in their finances, pray that there just be a peace that transcends understanding, that will rest on each soul and each mind. Pray that you will just calm them right now. I pray that this church will reject the lies of the enemy that says, ah, you believe in a lie. This is a bunch of baloney. Might as well get back out in the real world and get some stuff done. Or we're believing the lie. Oh, Christianity's going downhill fast. The only thing that we can do now is just pray for Jesus' return so he can come and rescue us. I pray that we won't believe those lies anymore. Most of all, God, I pray that we will reject that lie that says, God doesn't love you anymore. That is the number one lie that was told at day one. Let's reject that lie. In your name, amen. If, um, if you don't know Christ, go ahead, pass the offering. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have never experienced the love of God, today's a very good day. Today is the day to say, I don't want to manipulate God anymore. I don't want to manipulate others. I don't want to fall into cynicism. I just want to, I want God to save me. I want God to step into my life and save me. I'm going to give you an invitation to get to know the God of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ, who died for your sins so that you get to go to heaven and be with him. If you want to receive that invitation, come on up right over here. We'll have somebody to pray for you. If you want to go for round two, if you want that physical healing in the body, if you want to say, I just, I just need to give this up to the mystery of God. If you need to reason yourself to, to God, do so. I just pray that you will just say, God, let me give up that religion, that old-time religion. I'm done with the old-time religion. God, I want to give up the cynicism. I just want to experience your love. If you want to experience God's love manifested through a miracle in your body, take the step, come up forward. We'll pray, we'll pray the prayer of faith that will heal the sick for you. God bless you.